Great. Okay, so we're continuing this series on, on eternity, and, and tonight is it's a really strong word, so you might be very convicted about what I'm going to share, but I think it is so important to hear what I have to say tonight, because it is one of those sermons that will give you a perspective on your life, and if you're truly going to follow this, because it's, it's a biblical perspective on what life is really about, then you're going to see the fruit in your life. And at the end of your life, when you're 120 years old and you look at the four, five generations that, are, are, that came after you, you're going to sit there and you're going to glory in the presence of God and you're going to say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you used me in some way. Okay, so and the focus tonight is that we're going to look at the only thing that we can take with us into heaven. The only thing that we can take with us in, into heaven. And we know what we can't take into heaven. 1 Timothy 6 verse 7, it says, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Nothing. You will not carry the clothes on your body into heaven. You will not carry your house or your financial statement, or your business. None of that you can take into heaven. But there's one thing that you can take into heaven. And that is souls. People. So we want to look at what God has given us in the form of relationships and sphere of influence in order for us to get as many people into heaven. So I want you to turn with me to Luke 16. We're going to read a passage there. It's very, very challenging, but it's, it's a favorite of mine. And I love this because every time I read this, it shocks my soul. It shocks my, uh, in, in the core of who I, who I am because it's, it's, it's so profound and gives us a perspective on eternity that we don't often have. And it's about the rich man and Lazarus. And we're going to read from verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. So this is Jesus telling the story, so he goes into detail. He's getting really gory here, because obviously he's trying to make a point. And he says, the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him and said, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. It reminded me of Ursula in Sri Lanka when we ate really hot curry, and Ursula's like, Gert, I'm not going to eat anymore. And then the host of, of this meeting came to her and said, you need to eat more, and brought us some more curry and more rice. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he's comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from you to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. 
He answered, then I beg you, Father, to send Lazarus to my family. And this is what I want to focus on. For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And Abram replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father, Abram, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. So Jesus is prophesying about what will happen to him after he got resurrected and even the message of the gospel. We still know people are rejecting the message of the gospel, which is Jesus who conquered death and was raised from the dead. So first of all, what Jesus is not trying to say, he's not against riches. He's not against you making money. I would even go as, as far as to say, hey, make lots of money. But then you need to keep the perspective that the rich man had in eternity, in, in hell. And what is that perspective? That none of the riches is, is actually of meaning, of significance, once you've entered, once you've crossed that line into eternity with, with God or with the devil. But... If you're in, in this world and, you, and you're doing your trade and you're making money, there's a lot that you can do with that money. You can buy property in Sri Lanka, an island, tropical living, sending missionaries there, changing a nation that only has, or has less than 3% Christians. They say less than 1% evangelical Christians. Those are the people that believe that the Bible is, is true. There's a lot of things that you can do with money. So Jesus is not saying, hey, do not make money. What he's saying, do not allow for money. Do not allow for the cares of this world, for your desires to become the main thing, to become the highest priority. Rather than if you know that that's going to be a temptation, rather be Lazarus, who had a few dark friends who was who were licking his sores, rather be Lazarus and one day be in heaven and realize, wow, I have God and that's the only thing that matters. Don't be distracted. Don't be tempted. So while reading this and listening to this story, hopefully all of you felt a little bit of conviction. It's like, okay, this is real. What should be my focus? And I love sort of the, the climax of the story is where, for me, is where the rich man then says, okay, great, I have a need for water, Abram. But the greater need, and there's urgency, I want you to send people or somebody to the people that I love, the people that I've rubbed shoulders with, my brothers, please warn them. Tell them what is coming. Tell them that the life that they're going to live on earth, the 80, 120 years, is nothing in comparison to eternity. I'm going to remain here forever. I would rather be Lazarus with dogs licking my sores than be the rich man that I was, and now I'm sitting here in hell. So it's a perspective change. And that's what eternity does for you. You really take hold of this truth. 
And I, and I ask, I'm asking the Holy Spirit while I'm speaking, and I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to speak to you, but also to change your mind, to get into your mind, to get into your heart, and to change how you think about life and your priority list. What is really important? And if you go to Revelation 7, you see it's that scene where, where John takes or John gets taken to by the angel and he sees the multitude of, of people. And then the angel tells him what's happening to these people. And, and he's, he's basically saying they're not experiencing any pain. They're not experiencing any of the suffering. All their tears are now done with. They are in a happy place. So sometimes what we need to look at is not our experience of the now, but we need to be able to step out of that and look at what's happening in our lives from the perspective, from the point of eternity, so that we can go through that suffering not only for ourselves, but also to be of influence, a God influence to the people around us. So everything that you do will ultimately influence people. Everything that you do have the potential to influence people and push them towards God or push them away from God. I'm going to look at that later specifically. Okay, so how do we focus on souls? Because that's what we want to talk about. The one thing that you can take to heaven, souls. The first soul that you need to take to heaven is your own soul. <laughs> Make sure that you are in right standing with God. Make sure that you have received the salvation that Jesus offered on the cross. Mark 8, 34 to 38, Jesus is talking about discipleship, and he says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must do what? Must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So in, in a way, Jesus is also prophesying how he will model discipleship. Because discipleship is, it's not only about, hey, following Jesus for the blessings, but it's sometimes you need to follow Jesus through death, dying to yourself, in order to experience the resurrection life. That's why baptism is such a powerful, symbolic, and prophetic action. You die. We keep, the, keep you underneath the water for three minutes, and then we pull you out, and then we see if you get resurrected. And if you're resurrected, then you're truly holy, and you can be part of this community. I'm just lying. Okay, I'm lying. But you understand what I'm saying? Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Often somebody would send me like a, a quote, a profound quote from a business guy or somebody um, that really in the world's eyes made it. And one of the first things that I will do is I will, I will test it according to scripture, and many times these, these quotes are true, like you need to work hard, and if you grind it, then, 
there's going to be a reward. You will be successful. That's, that's scriptural, by the way. You need to work hard in order to get blessing. That's scriptural. But then also what I will do is I will try and look at what are the fruits of this person's life. What does his family look like? Does he have a relationship with his wife? What is his children saying about him? And now with social media, you can actually find out those things. And then somebody sends you a quote from Jeff Bezos. And great, he made it. And there's a lot of business principles that you can take from him. But if you look at his family life, you, you look at, wow, he's, now his wife is filing for divorce. Same with Bill Gates. His wife is filing for divorce. Elon Musk is now with his third wife. What are, what are his children saying? So yes, he tapped into a truth and he applied the truth in business and God's blessing him because God will bless the principle if you apply it. He'll always bless the principle. But what we are after is even the higher revelation and, and, the, and that is that God is after people's hearts. They will give you a skill. He will even give you enterprise, a business, but ultimately, what he is wanting from you is to govern, to steward what he has given you in order for people to have a revelation of who God is and what, how much God loves them. And that's why I love seeing people building businesses or people that are involved with other, other people. And I, I'm telling him, hey, you know what, some of you just want to give up everything that you have and you want to be a missionary in, in Sri Lanka. Maybe you should not think about it in that, that way. Just steward well what you have. Look at how many people you have employed. You have 15 people employed. You have 150 clients. You have personal relationship with them. You know what that means in the kingdom of God? That means that you have influence for Jesus and you can lead them closer to Christ. Amazing. Dion over here, he's a youth worker in the biggest church in George. Otaniqua High School. 1,800 kids. And if you're working with kids, then you're also working with the parents. So if he influences 1,800 kids, he's probably influencing more than 1,000 families within George. Think of the impact that one guy... With a scruffy beard... can do for the kingdom and God. So we're thinking soul. So first of all, focus on your own, own soul. What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in, the, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the, the holy angels. So, so God's saying, hey, rather give up everything in life gain Jesus. Do not be ashamed of Jesus in this life because that's the most important relationship that you need to steward in this life. So secondly, we need to understand and we need to know the most important message, the gospel. Paul said this, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. And the way that I see it is the moment that you communicate the gospel, God comes with his power. It's like, 
I was a, a small flank when I played rugby, so I never did, never took too many crash balls, but every now and then, somebody will pass the ball to me, okay? So then I would, I would run, and then a big prop will take me by my jersey, and he will push me forward. And in a way, that's how I see the communication of the gospel. You will communicate the gospel, and God was with his full force that created the universe, that created everything, will come behind your words. How, how, how lacking they might seem to you. How you're struggling with your English, or are you struggling with your terminology, whatever. God will come behind that, and he will push those words and it will have the effect of transformation of lives just because you are communicating it. Because it's the power of God unto salvation for everybody that believes. And that word salvation, it doesn't only mean that it's a passport into heaven. That word salvation means that you are set free, that you are healed, that you have peace, that you now are restored unto a relationship with God. In other words, you have the mind of the universe. You have access to that mind so you can apply it in your daily living. Think of the, the power of the message that we have. Do you know the gospel? If I ask you now, can you say, hey, I know what the gospel is all about? In your own words. So that's why when you, when you come to Ken McCarr and then journey step one, we teach you a very simple way of communicating the gospel. What is the gospel? And we, and we from scripture, show you that there's, there's a separation, that's where it started. There's a problem, but then there's a solution in Jesus. And then the gospel, and one aspect of the gospel that we often neglect is the gospel beckons a response. Once you hear the truth, and often we are in this information overload um, generation, we, we get information, but we don't do anything about it. It's that, that aunt or your grandma that send you 40 scriptures and 40 YouTube clips, but you never open them. You don't respond to the truth, and they, they might contain truth. But the gospel beckons a response, just a simple way of communicating the gospel that we teach you at, um, at Journey 1, so that's just an advert for coming to Journey. So know the gospel. It's good news. That's what gospel means. And thirdly, you need to share it. And you need to share it in words. There's a Francis of Assisi quote that I don't like. <laughs> Maybe some of you have quoted that quote. And understand what they're trying to say with the quote. And the quote goes like this. Preach the gospel, and if necessary... Use words. I get what people are saying is that you need to model who Jesus is. But that's not the full truth. That is not completely biblical. All the disciples in the New Testament, Jesus used words to explain to us what the kingdom is like, who his father is, what he is about to do, how you can follow him. So words are needed. You need to be able to communicate the gospel in words. Parenting doesn't work without words. And 
if I, if I go and I, I'm just going to say, hey, kids, okay, listen here, I'm now your dad, and I'm just going to model how you wake up in the morning, how you make your bed, how you eat your food, how you go to school. I'm just going to model it, and you're just going to follow. All of you are laughing because it's not working. I need to model it. If I'm not going to wake up early, and if I'm not going to eat properly with good manners, they're not going to do it, but I need to communicate to them. What are we about to do? Why are we doing it? Why do you need to be on time for this specific thing? Communication is so important. So in words, you need to be able to communicate that. And you, if you're young, make a point in your mind, like, like already make this a a thing that you're going to do with your kids, you're not going to wait for the youth pastor or the children's church pastor or the teacher at school or somebody else to lead your children to Christ. You're going to do it yourself. So that moment the baby is born, say, hang on before you cry. I have a message. Jesus, this is the message. And then the baby might just go like, ah, and you're like, I see that end. My kid's saved. He's not even an hour old. You need to be able to communicate that. It's the most love in a message that you can communicate. It's the gospel. But then you can also, it's, you can be like me sometimes. So we've exposed Eva to lots of Christian stuff. And she was, I think, three or four years old and I said to her, Eva, now it's a time I'm going to share with you the proper gospel. So I share with you the gospel. And I, I ask, hey, do you want to give your heart to Jesus, your life to Jesus? And she says, I've already done it, Dad. I'm like, who led you to Jesus? And she says, no, um, led me to Jesus. And she said she was watching this DVD, and he had a presentation of the gospel, and he led her to Jesus. Through a DVD, three-year-old. And all of us are laughing at Omyandavet and the lawfulites and the way that he presents himself with the underbike and all those things. So Romans 10, 14 says, How then can, can they call on the one they have not believed in? How, and how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? So in words. Then also in actions. Build relationship with eternity in mind. This scripture for me is important when we think of building relationships, thinking of souls. Paul's saying, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. In other words, we are convinced of the good message of Jesus Christ. We are convinced that the people that we are living with, our brothers and our sisters, our colleagues, the people that we see when we're doing our hobbies, Jesus died for all of those people. And we are somehow the link between heaven and them. So we're living with this responsibility. And it's not a burden, but it's actually a love responsibility. Like, I love them so much. I'm compelled by the love of God when I rub shoulders with somebody that they need to meet with Jesus. 
the people that work in your firm, the people that come to your house, the people that you often connect with when you're doing your hobby, do they know Jesus? And you need to ask God for that, that burden. It's a godly burden. To be honest, I hate being on airports like in Doha or Qatar because I walk there and I'm like, God, how many of these people know Jesus? How many of these people know Jesus? It's often a difficult burden to carry. Sabrina and I have often had this conversation, so she's doing great work in Park Dean and Broadchurch. And, and a lot of the, her kids come to salvation and they meet with Jesus and then they still mess up. <laughs> and they do things that's not Christ-like at all. And then we ask ourselves, say, hey, how are we going to impact those communities? Guys are there at the back. He also he works for a sports academy, and they use sport to get into, into Temaletu and into poorer communities, and they help those people to, to meet with Jesus. That's the ultimate goal. And they also started a school doing great work. Thanks, Kaiser. And when I, when I meet with, with young people, if it's Otaniqua, and I'm like, hey, how many of these people know Jesus? If they die today, will they go to heaven? This morning we were, we were confronted with this truth. We came into, started the service, and Rikus came crying to me, and he said, Amo, I think my dad died, or he's about to die. Fifteen minutes later, we got the report, he's dead. And I was reminded of a time last year when Luke said, hey, okay, we're going we're gonna to cry out to God for the people that we love. And uh, Rikus' dad has a relationship with, with the Lord, but he was very nominal in his, in his belief, in his lifestyle of following, following Jesus. And I was sitting in front, and Rikus was behind me, and he was literally screaming his dad's name. Sometimes you need to do weird stuff <laughs> just to get it out there, just to tell the devil, this is the one that I'm praying for. This is the one that God's going to touch. This is the one that I am rubbing shoulders with and that I carry a burden for you, for God to touch. Screaming out his name. At the end of that service, he looks on his cell phone. He has a missed call from his dad. Dad never phones him during on Sundays. And then we video called with his dad. We could pray with his dad. And I spoke to him after the service. And he said he really believes that his dad is in heaven. Powerful. Powerful. So... Life is but a vapor, the Bible says. So we need a bold relationship with, with eternity in mind. Okay, devil, you need to come and carry your bag again. Okay, so, so we, need, we need to pray for souls. We need to love souls. You need to be able to communicate the gospel. But I'm just going to give you an illustration of the people that you are dealing with and also how you can trust the Lord to use you to actually bring them into the kingdom so that they will be with Jesus when they die. That is important. We're not only looking for people to get a passport into heaven, but it's so important. We don't want rich man kind of scenarios where people on 
in hell and they're crying out for their angels to go back to their brothers. We want all of those people to get saved. We want all of our friends to be in heaven with us. Our, our parents, our grand, grandparents, our families, our colleagues, all of them. Hopefully you all have that desire. Okay, so, so devil, he get born, gets born into this world and what happens, his parents got to get uh, divorced. Okay, so there's a, there's a burden that's loaded on him. And what it, what it does, it, it distorts his vision of God and what God is calling him to be. And then a couple of years later, he meets a friend, a good connection. His, his, friend, his friend introduces him to pornography, and there's shame that comes into his life. So sin and also shame that comes into his life. And there's another burden that's loaded on him. And then somebody, somebody takes him to church, and he sort of checking this out. He loves people. And then this guy who models church, who says, hey, or models Christianity and says, hey, I want to I be like Jesus. He's communicating the gospel very well to, to Devold. And Devold find him one Friday evening completely drunk, and he's just swearing, and he's kissing girls, and then what happens? Devil's not only getting offended with this mentor, he's also getting offended with God. If Christians are like those people, then I don't want nothing to do with it. Big burden that he carries. And then he goes to, he goes to varsity. And uh, he was always the cool guy at school. He was big and he was clever, but at Vasti, he's not the most clever guy anymore. And he loses his identity. And people started teasing him um, because he's not, he's failing subjects now. And he's not the biggest guy in the CrossFit box anymore because um, he's studying more than he's actually CrossFitting. Rejection. More burden. Okay, let's leave it at that. So now you meet Diewald, and you've been to a sermon series about eternity at Shofar George, and you know that the preacher said, hey, you need to preach the gospel to everybody around you, and now Diewald is working with you and in this uh, entrepreneurial kind of venture. You're going to change the world, and Diewald comes from, from Pochestruem, and you now want to communicate with him the gospel because you carry this burden of seeing souls getting saved. And you're like, hey, devil, and you meet with them, and you say, hey, devil, I can see that you have, have life in your eyes. Don't you want to come to church with me? And they was like, no, I'm not going to go to church. This guy hates me. And you're like, okay, so how am I going to get to deal? So what do you do? You start praying for the devil. God, in a dream, he shows Devil that, hey, Devil, I actually love you. I want to take your burdens away. And those things, these things really happen when we pray. So then one of his burdens gets unlearned. And then Devil, he, he meets somebody at the CrossFit box, and, and this guy just loves Jesus, and this guy invites Devil to a pry, and there Devil sees how this guy treats his family. He's never seen 
how a husband loves a wife like this guy. He sees his discipline, he sees his love, and suddenly he realizes, wow, there are some people that get marriage right. And somehow this guy models the father to him so well. And one of these burdens also gets lifted, the big one. And then he gets involved with some, some other, other friends, and they're running up, running up the mountain. These guys are just sharing with him testimonies, and he hears these crazy testimonies. The one guy also comes from a divorce home, and he says, you know what? I hated God for so long, but then somebody prayed for me, and I had this vision of God just embracing me and loving me and telling me that was never my intent for you to suffer. And suddenly, he's overwhelmed by the goodness of God. He's like, oh, that's so weird. I'm running in the mountains. I've always been this macho jock guy. What's happening to me? My heart's getting softer. And the, and the burden gets lifted off him. And then those same guys who runs in the mountains say, hey, listen here, um, we're going to go to church on, on Sunday. There's a guest speaker. The guy, his name is my son. He's, a, he's an amazing communicator of the gospel. And it's going to be all about the father love of God, and, and the devil comes in, and there's this lady, Sinead, worshiping up front, and she sings, not, not according to the lyrics that he see behind him on the screen, it's a little weird for him, there's another guy, Eckhart, he's praying in this weird language, but somehow, in this presence of God, he feels accepted, he's like, okay, my buddies, they are lifting up their hands, oh, this is, I've never, I've my mother warned me against these people. Oh, they're lifting up their hands. Shucks, what's happening? But somehow I feel so at home here. I feel awkward. I feel exposed. I want to run out. So, so Dill runs out. He goes for, goes for a smoke. He comes back. He smells like he's coming from hell. And he's standing. And while he's sitting in his chair, my son says, and God loves you. And suddenly those vo the, the voice of God through my son's words pierces his heart. And suddenly he experiences the love of God for the first time. And he realizes there's a father in heaven that loves him. And he just starts to cry. And he looks around. Nobody's looking. Okay. Takes off the tears. So, my son says, listen here, this is what you need to do get it, to get saved, to get, be reconnected with the Father, come forward. He is first to respond, and this devil stands. He prays a simple prayer, but, but actually he's already prayed this prayer in his heart because he just said, God, whatever this is, I want all of it. I will give everything. I will give up my crossfit. I will give up my buddies. I will give up my money. I'll give up everything because I need the peace of God. They will say it. He's not without sin. He's not perfect. But he's saved. And, and the stories that I'm telling, and I'm telling it, yes, in a, in a funny way, but most of the stories I've heard, literally a guy who came into the service, met with Jesus, and he's just, 
I'm so overwhelmed by the love of God. I need to go out. And he went smoking. He comes back and, and God touches him and he gets saved. That's, that's a story. Somebody going, coming from a divorced home and, somebody, and hearing a story from another person who comes from a divorced home and how God touched him and how God loves him with, as, a, as a dad should love his son. That is a, that's a story. That's a real story of people making effort with other people, taking them for a jog or a run into the mountains. That's a real story. Relationship. So what I want us to do is to make effort with the people that God has placed in our lives. Think of every moment, every person that you are connected with. You can add. You're not necessarily going to see the fireworks. Often I get to see the fireworks. The people coming here on the floor, crying. Demons get delivered. People are seeing angels. They are meeting with Jesus. It's glorious. And thank you for all of you that's doing the work. And for me, I feel so privileged to see those things. But also you can ask the Lord to see those things in your, in your living room. Trust God to see this. Hey, listen here. I could see that you were touched while we were running. When I shared that story of how I worked through my parents' divorce. Hey, come to me. Come have a meal. We're going to pray afterwards. You put on the worship music. And you say, what would my son say? My son's going to say this. Okay, great. Listen here. God loves you. And you pray for him. And sometimes you don't see anything, but you know that a, that a rock has been lifted from the backpack of his life. And he's closer to Jesus. And that's your responsibility. Everybody that you meet, but because of you, they need to be closer to Jesus. You need to model him in everything you do. You need to show kindness when the pressure is on. You need to be able to look people in the eye and say, hey, I can see all is not well. We have this deadline. Things need to happen now. All is not well. Listen here. Let's pray together quickly. I really care for your soul, but we need to finish this thing. And when the thing is finished, you go to him and say, listen here. Okay, now we need to have that talk. What's happening in your life? You need to love people enough to bring them to church. You need to love people enough to start a small group in your home. You need to love people to start doing hobbies with other people. You need to love people enough to tell them the truth about heaven or hell. You need to love them. Last week, I spent some time with an old friend that, that we, uh, we started off our Christian journey and we were very, very radical and offended a lot of people, but also we helped a lot of people. And we talked about this one friend who went off the rails. We sat him down in Stellenbosch, the, the Dross. We sat him down and we said, hey, we love you so much that we can see you are wasting your life with a specific goal and you're wasting your life just going away from the church, not coming to any of, of the things that you used to love, relationship with fellow believers. And he said, I'm willing to choose against you now. This is what he said. A year after that, he invited all of those friends that sat him down back, and he said, I'm sorry, but also thank you that you loved me enough to tell me the truth. And he's now married to a wife that loves Jesus. He, he actually had cancer that now dissolved because of prayer and, and medical intervention. People said he was not supposed to live anymore. 
I feel like I played a role in what's happening in his life. Okay, can we get the band up? Everybody remain seated. Close your eyes. So if you're in this room, just close your eyes. If you're in this room and you don't know, you're not sure that you're going to go to heaven. If you die today, you're not sure you're going to go to heaven. But today you want to make sure that you go to heaven. The reason why I put it in this way, because it helps with our perspective on our lives. You think you have a relationship with God, but you're not sure you're going to go to heaven. There's so much more than just to get a passport into heaven, so much more. It's great to just ask you that question. Am I sure that if I die today, that I'm going to go to heaven? If you're not sure, then I want you just to raise your hand. Just say, I'm on today, I want to be sure. Thank you for those hands. Just raise them again, just high. Thank you. You can lower those hands again. You can ask it again. If you want to make sure of your salvation today, just raise your hands. If you haven't done it. So many people that want to make right with Jesus. That's beautiful. God loves it. Luke 15, he says there's a party that's going to happen once you respond to this invitation. And the second group of people is you've been, in, been a Christian for very long, maybe a year, a couple of months. You have not taken seriously the call to see souls being saved by Jesus through you. You've not taken seriously the message of the gospel. And today you want to say, God, I'm sorry. I want everybody in my sphere of influence to meet with Jesus. And I want to be an instrument in your hand. If that is you, just raise your hand. Just say, Lord, that is me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for those hands. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Great, you can open your eyes. So now I'm going to ask the first group of people to be very bold. If you're not sure of your salvation, and today you want to make sure, I want you to stand up where you're sitting. Stand up. Amen. That's awesome. There are more people. Just stand up. Amen. One day in heaven, you're not going to regret standing up. You might feel like a fool tonight, but you're not going to regret it. There were more people. Just stand up. Amen. Beautiful. That's amazing. We just want to pray with these people now. So can I get some of the leaders just to go and stand around them? Devil, the team, Derek. No, it's not your church, but just make as if it's your church. Just go and stand with the people. And so we're going we're gonna to, together with these people, we're just going to pray a simple prayer. It's a simple prayer, but if you do it in, in faith, it's going to change the trajectory of your life, and it's going to change your identity at the core. You're going to get born again and you will know that you will know that you will know that Jesus loves you and that you are with him from this point onwards. Okay, it's a simple prayer, so you can just follow me. Just say, thank you, Jesus, 
that I can come to you today. Let's, do, let's pray it all out loud. Thank you, Jesus, that I can come to you today. I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And today I receive your forgiveness that you purchased on the cross for me. Jesus, forgive me. And thank you, Jesus, through your blood, through your resurrection power, that I now can have authority over sin and demonic influences in my life. Thank you, Jesus, that through your blood that I'm now reconciled with my Father in heaven. From today onwards, I am a son of God. I am well-loved. I can hear his voice. I'm holy. I'm pure. And I know that if I die today, that I will go to heaven. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Wow. Okay, so leaders, just take their, take their names and also take their numbers. We just want to make sure that we follow up with them during the week. You're dismissed. You can have a big party at the back because people got to meet with Jesus tonight. That's the biggest miracle of it all.